always cool in Mesa. Yes, it is. It's always cool in Mesa. Yeah. Forget the degrees and just remember this, please. I say it's always cool in Mesa. Every American city has its iconic piece of architecture. Seattle's skyline would be incomplete without its Space Needle. St. Louis has its Gateway Arch. Mesa's iconic building is the Latter-day Saint Temple. It was built almost a century ago and just recently underwent a major restoration. If you always wanted to take a peek inside, now's the time. It's open for tours until November the 20th. It's always cool in Mesa. <laughs> This episode is brought to you by the Sheraton Mesa Hotel at Wrigleyville West. The Sheraton Mesa Hotel at Wrigleyville West is located in the heart of Mesa's Riverview Park and right next to the Chicago Cubs Spring Training Facility. This beautiful hotel, which opened in 2015, features 180 elegantly appointed guest rooms and suites sure to make you feel at home. With over 30,000 square feet of indoor and outdoor event space, it's the perfect location to host your next meeting, conference, corporate retreat, and much more. It even has a brand new venue that's ideal for your holiday party. Prime dates are still available. For more information, go to SheratonMesa.com. Renovating a nearly 100-year-old LDS temple is a huge undertaking. I had the privilege of interviewing someone who knows about it inside and out, literally. She's the architectural historian for The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, Emily Utt. Emily, first mm -hmm. of all, let me just say thank you so much for agreeing to be on this podcast. I had the pleasure of meeting you when you were here for the, some of the very first tours that were offered, and I was privileged to be on a, on a tour that, that you were assisting. I was so taken back by your encyclopedic knowledge of every detail of the Mesa temple. The thought crossed my mind that I could take you to any place on the temple grounds inside or out, and you could just off the top of your head talk nonstop <laughs> about why the details are the way that they are. Am I exaggerating things? Maybe a little bit. My job as an architectural historian is to know all of the details about a building. I've been working on the Mesa temple now for, what, seven or eight years. And the point of doing that type of research is to really help people doing renovations understand what they're looking at. Buildings are stories, they're keepers, they're records. And so if you know what stories a building wants to tell, you can know what stories need to be preserved. Yeah, I, I so appreciated the church's approach to this renovation because there was very much of a, of a historic preservation motivation attached to this, wasn't there? There was. Um, this. This Mesa Temple is such an iconic part of this community that making it look like a brand new building and taking out all those historic things would be almost a desecration to the community. So we were working very hard to keep some of those historic stories still part of this place moving forward. Like you say, it's not a, a shiny new 2021 experience. This is a, a like going back in a time machine to 1927 and seeing what it, you know, that temple looked like when it was such an amazing uh, accomplishment in Mesa, Arizona, you know, nearly 100 years ago. I think there's some things that have been prioritized more than others. Um, for example, the exterior, that terracotta is so iconic that we took a lot of time making sure that the repairs to that were just right. We Mesa folks can't imagine the temple looking any differently than it does now. 
but it very well could have. There were great debates about what the exterior finish should be. There was some talk about making it of, of natural stone. There was some talk about making it of cast stones. Ultimately decided to go with the terracotta finish. It's basically a fired glazed clay with a really beautiful sheen finish on it. When the sun and mesa hits that temple just right, that whole building just glows. If you're like me, you're wondering how were they going to match that almost 100-year-old terracotta? Terracotta could be a tough building material, so you have to find just the right craftsmen and just the right people to fix it. Um, the terracotta came from Gladding McBean. That's a company that's still in existence. And they've been designing and building some of the best terracotta buildings in the United States for over 100 years. We actually contracted back with Gladding McBean to replace some of the pieces that had broken and been damaged. Talk for a little bit, if you can, the, the, the relief that go, runs along the top of yeah. the temple. It's, I mean, it's amazing. Yeah, the exterior um, paneling on this building is one of my favorite features of the building. When the temple was built, it was really the temple not only for Arizona, but the temple for Central and South America. And so the bas-relief along the top of the building represents the gathering of all of God's children to the temple. And as you walk around the building, each side depicts a different cultural group. And it has Native Americans in it, Mexicans, Mormon pioneers, Scandinavians, all gathering. And as you move to the front door, you can see these figures start moving a little bit faster. They're not just standing still. They're in motion. I love it. I love finding the little figure in it that I hadn't noticed before. You know, I, I've been looking at that my whole life, and, and until I heard you tell that story, I never realized that the, the, the pace and, you know, the urgency of, of these folks that are depicted in the relief intensifies as they come around and get closer to the doors of the temple. That's fascinating. The story of the Mesa Temple actually begins a couple of thousand years ago, because that's when the Hohokam Indians started building the most sophisticated canal system in the prehistoric New World. Long after they mysteriously abandoned the desert, Latter-day Saint pioneers arrived on the scene and used their brilliant template to bring water to their crops and homes. That was 1878. A few decades later, these religious settlers on the far edges of the church's reach were anxious to have what their compatriots in Utah had several of, a temple. People in Mesa were so excited to have the idea of a temple. They started fundraising and said we're going to build one before the leaders of the church knew. They raised $125,000 and announced it in the newspaper. The Mesa saints had a message for the world. We're ready to build. And the First Presidency of the Church read about it in the news and had to have a conversation with the people in Mesa about, now, folks, don't, don't get ahead of the leadership. If nothing else, they were determined. You can imagine how difficult it would have been in the 20s to raise the money. Every single person who lived there donated something. Uh, if you had a lot of money, you were expected to give a lot. If you had no money, you were expected to show up and work. When I see this temple, what I see are the donations of the people. Emily, one of the things that's really distinctive about the Mesa Temple that we love so much is is the uniqueness of the architecture. It's not spires, you know, that, but, which are kind of common themes in, in other temples. 
And that's, again, we're, we're very proud of that because it makes it somewhat unique. But how did we end up with a temple that looks so different from all the other temples? They designed a building that seemed to fit the landscape. They weren't designing something, you know, monumental with a huge steeple with an angel that was, you know, very kind of grand on the landscape. They designed something that, while monumental, seemed to fit. The difficulties of building such a grand structure in the desert were many. They're trying to build this building in the heat of Arizona in an era before air conditioning. And it's a concrete building. So things have to stay wet. There's a lot of things we do well in Mesa. Wet is not one of them. We kill it dry, though. July and August was not a great time, and construction would slow down a lot. But after five years of construction, the temple was finally completed and open to the public before its dedication. Tell me about 1927. I've heard a rumor that the that about 300,000 people toured the temple back in 1927, which was roughly the equivalent of the population of the state of Arizona at the time. So that, is that is that a faith-promoting rumor that you can dispel, or is that, that true? No, so the Mesa Temple was a tourist attraction even during construction. The tile setters would be in or the woodworkers would be in the building working and suddenly 50 people come walking through and they have to stop working for a couple of hours. And at dedication, the train companies offered discount tickets so people could come in from far away. So there were hundreds of thousands of people toward this building in the open house. After its dedication, the Mesa Temple was busy for almost 50 years before it needed a renovation in 1975. But the renovation that started in 2018 was really more of a restoration. And perhaps the most painstaking part of the restoration happened inside. Preservation of historic artwork requires very skilled specialists. As you can imagine, this is not uh, just a hire my friend who's an artist and come in and fix them. You clean almost with Q-tips. Uh, you can imagine a mural that's the size of a room being cleaned an inch at a time. It, it takes a lot of time. And the, the folks that we hire are very, very good and very, very meticulous. Can you talk about uh, John the Baptist in the baptistry? Uh, mm -hmm. What will people notice that's different about uh, the restored mural versus the yeah. way it was before? So John the Baptist's halo was back. Uh, some, at some point, uh, he had this really beautiful ray of light halo around his head, and somebody had covered it up. This is a, a pretty distinctive halo. Can you describe it? A 1920s kind of new modern view of a halo. There's almost like rays of light coming out from all directions. So it's not a perfect circle. It's distinct rays. It goes back to this whole 1927 character of the, of the temple, and maybe... People's sensitivities after that period of time kind of thought, well, hey, do we really need a halo around John the Baptist? Let's uh, let's pull out our paintbrush and get rid of it. One of the things we talk about generally in history is that often we look at it through our current eyes. And the role of history is to understand the world that they lived in. Um, a famous historian said that the past is a foreign country. They speak a different language there. And so the role of preservation is helping us to understand their language a little bit better. So I look at John the Baptist and his Latter-day Saint, I go, but we don't use halos. That's weird. But in 1927, that was perfectly fine. And so let's let the 1927 story shine a little. Other things that I really love that we did, um, the baptistry to the font room, 
we took a lot of time to get that font looking just like it did in 1927. And we had to make some repairs and peel back some bad repairs and get it looking as good as it did in the 20s. So so when the, the Mesa Temple was kind of stripped down to its, its bones, did you or the construction folks, you know, come across things that you didn't expect or make any uh, archaeological <laughs> discoveries, <laughs> uh, uh, any stories dur- that occurred during the, the renovation? Anyone who owns an old house knows that you never know what you're going to find until you open a wall. And the same thing happens on these big projects. We did a, a lot of research and got into the original architectural plans. But every time we opened up a wall, we had to look a minute and go, wait, what? what? What's going on here? The thing I love to find the most are the remnants of the original workers. Um, it was fun on this project to get up into the attic um, and above you know, some of the rooms in the crawl spaces and find signatures of some of the workers from the 1920s. Um, and then it was fun to be able to go into the archives and see if I could find them. You peel back the layers and the original workers start kind of filling in the gaps for you. I walk through these buildings and I I know it sounds a little hokey, but I can sometimes feel them with me, you know, that there are these people that gave their everything to build a sacred place. And when I walk in them, when I work on them, I feel like I'm becoming part of their story, you know, that I can give my all and be part of something bigger. And if I do my job well, my hand is invisible. People won't know my name on this project because my job is to highlight and bring to life those original workers. Wherever your sacred place is, I hope that when you walk those halls or trails, you think about the builders. And like Emily, though it may sound hokey, can feel them with you.